Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Comic Boom DC Spotlight. Uh, this is for the week of April 20th, 2021. So I guess happy 420, everybody, if that's your thing. Uh, I know a lot of people like to, to do that and, and read comics. And hey, you know, more power to you. It's legal in most places in the U.S. now. Not my thing, but uh, if it's your thing, hopefully you're celebrating 420 with, uh, with some cool books. So uh Six books we're going to talk about today. Rocky's got them up on the screen there if you're uh, checking it out on the YouTube channel. So quick reminder, everybody, uh, Comic Source Podcast is available everywhere. But if you want to see some of the graphics, some of the art that we're talking about, see the books, you can also check out this episode every week on the Comic Boom YouTube channel with my colleague, Rocky, who uh, puts out great content in addition to these DC spotlights, a lot of other reviews and shows off his uh, massive comic collection with all kinds of uh, keys and stuff. So uh, be sure, even if you uh, just listen to it on the podcast, go check out his channel once in a while. Give him a smash on that subscribe button. Give him a like on the video. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, there's a reason I like collaborating with Rocky. So uh, if you like the comic source, you're going to like uh, a lot of what he does as well. So anyway, Rock, how's it going, man? What did you think of this week of uh, DC Books? I, you know, once again, I, I got a smile on my face. I'm generally happy with it. I, oh. Again, just overall the, the the mood I'm having with DC, it's I'm 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 it's I'm surprised. I even I'd never heard of Fort. I'd never played Fortnite before. Never have, but Batman Fortnite. I even enjoyed that. And I googled a little bit about Fortnite, so I'm not completely ignorant. But it was a nice little story as well. So, yeah, pleasantly surprised all around. And. I even tolerated Bendis's Justice League a little bit. So, you know, they're, you know, and plus, uh, you know, I enjoyed the weekend, April 20th. Uh, we had some good spring weather here yesterday and uh, this weekend. So it's it's been good. Uh, I wish I I shared your your optimism. Uh, not that I thought anything this week was was terrible. Um, but I don't know. Nothing really stood out for me. I felt like it was a little on the on the average side. Even Catwoman, which I, I normally look forward to, I thought was a little bit of a a down uh, issue. Which you know, it feels like it's building up to something. You do need those ups and downs. I, I've said it all the time. Uh, but I do agree with you about uh, Batman Fortnite, the zero point. Uh, I also have never played Fortnite. That's a the young person game in my mind. I'm sure there's plenty of people our age that play, but I'm not. I'm not one of them. I'm not a big gamer. Uh, but yeah, it was it was rather interesting. So um, I'm sure we'll we'll get to that and uh, we'll have a, a good discussion. Maybe I maybe I missed something. You know, maybe there's more to these issues than I than I thought. And I just uh, which is part of the reason I love doing this because you uh, always pick up on things that, that I didn't. So uh, we'll go ahead and get right into it. Starting with Nightwing. This is Leaping into the Night Part Two. Written by Tom Taylor, art by Bruno Redondo, colors by Adriana Lucas, and letters by Wes Abbott. And, you know, the first issue of uh, of this creative's team, Nightwing, was critically acclaimed. You heard a lot of creators talking about it before it came out. And uh, it hit stands. It sold out. A lot of people talking about it. Um, and and there, there do seem to be a few people that don't like it. I see nobody in the middle. Everybody that read it thought it was great, like 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. Or I saw people that just very much disliked it. I didn't see anybody that said, eh, it was kind of okay. But I sort of felt like the first issue was great and I loved it. But this one I fell more in the lines of, eh, it was okay. So uh, why don't you kick us off? What did you think of uh, Nightwing number 79? Well, I, I do think that uh, – I still think that Tom Taylor is – writer Tom Taylor is playing still set up a little bit here. And I – 
I really like it. I, I'm definitely on the on this on the side of people who who are really enjoying this. This is uh, this is excellent, especially for new readers and for old readers like like myself. It, this is just classic Dick Grayson. He's he's smack dab in the middle of Bloodhaven. He is now as as of the end of last issue. The last issue ended with a beautiful letter that he read, uh, given to him by uh, by Barbara Gordon, slash Oracle. It was a letter from Alfred, who left, who was a billionaire, and and you know Dick Grayson is now a billionaire. So Bruce Wayne might be broken Gotham, but Dick Grayson is now the billionaire, another billionaire in Bloodhaven, and. He uh, he takes he takes Barbara out for lunch, and as he takes her out for lunch, he uh, they 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 have pizza at Marv and George's Pizza Place, uh, which is a nice tribute to um, I'm assuming Marv Wolfman and George Perez, and so uh, there's a lot of there's some Easter eggs in this issue that I that I really liked. I thought it was uh, thought it was uh, very well done, and Dick uh, while while. Uh, Dick and Barbara are there. He's he's thinking about what he wants to do with all this money, and he he's pick, he's he's uh, he ends up giving some an, a, a gentleman by the name of Elliot and his uh, pardon me a gentleman by the name of Martin and his son Elliot ask him for some spare change, and he decides to not only buy them a pizza instead of just giving them spare change, but buying the whole neighborhood pretty much a pizza. <laughs> and when he's doing that, I mean, he ends up getting pickpocketed by these kids and and. And you, uh, you can really see that uh, uh, there's two things that stand out. What, what Dick Grayson uh, says here, he says he says that I think are going to form the I think the the basis for Tom Taylor's thinking. One of the first things he said is that I've always thought that Batman could have done more as Bruce Wayne is what he said, and that really st- stands out. And and I think that's true. Dick Grayson is a guy who's who's always thought more with it. Nightwing is always. He's been more Dick Grayson. He thinks more with his heart than probably Batman does. And uh, he wants to build for Bloodhaven a safety net. He wants the people of Bloodhaven to feel safe. Now, of course, we got Blockbuster, who's the head of the mafia, and we got two crime families. There's the uh, Boss Marino. There's the Marino crime family, and there's also the Zuko crime family. Melinda Zuko uh, is the is expected to become the mayor of Bloodhaven and her, I believe it was her, uh, her crime boss was killed by blockbuster at the end of the last issue. And so we got machinations happening in the crime families uh, of Bloodhaven. And meanwhile, there's some drama in this issue where these kids end up pickpocketing, of course, the, the wrong person uh, end up pickpocketing one of boss Marino's men. And, there's a real tragic thing that happens. There's a new villain, you know, speculator alert. I think it's the first appearance of a f- new villain who, I don't know what the villain's name is, but I'm guessing it might be Heartless because he has a tendency <laughs> to take your heart and suck your heart out of your body with a gun. <laughs> so speculator alert. Uh, and just the art here is beautiful. Redondo's art is fantastic. Bruno R- Redondo, uh, Adriano Lucas on the colors. I got to tell you, I have a new appreciation for pink with the blue. Wow. I mean, I I was not, I never thought I would be into pink, but there's something about the, the, the blues and, and the pink and the, the way that just bounces off the cover there. It's just really, really good. Uh, very, very impressive. Scenes are great. Uh, the, the layouts, the... the, the the angles, the you get the history of Dick Grayson in between all of this, and it's just really well put together. 
I don't know. I just don't know how people cannot enjoy this. This is this is easy going. Right now, it's it's still set up. There's not a huge amount of excitement yet, but this is only the end of the second issue. We got great character work, beautiful art, and I'm definitely in this. I have a feeling this first arc is going to make one hell of a trade. Yeah, I don't disagree with you about the art. This issue has a lot of big double, not just splash pages, but double page spreads, a lot of sort of montages with uh, you know, double exposures and, and whatnot. And it works really, really well. The, the line work, the character acting, the uh, emotion that Redondo puts in his face, that all works very, very well. We, we know Adriana Lucas is an incredible cuddler artist. He's one of my favorite. He's in my top three for sure. I've talked over and over about his incredible work on Freedom Fighters that he did to over Eddie Barrows. And, you know, uh, Eddie Barrows is one of my favorite Nightwing artists ever. Uh, Bruno Redondo is quickly, uh, you know, getting to that level. But I, I, I did say that, you know, I did feel it was it was sort of average. Um, and that goes to something else you said, where it, it, this feels like we're still in the setup phase. So I, I would uh, agree with that. And it doesn't mean it's bad, but I, I wasn't I, I didn't come away from this feeling like I'd seen something new and fresh necessarily. Um, I do think it would be interesting to get rid of Nightwing and just have. Dick Grayson take on the persona of the Bloodhaven billionaire and just do what he can to, to be the safety net for the city as he uses that line here and take the costume off. And uh, that line that you quoted, uh, and, and that before I go the, to there, that, that comes to the point that I wanted to make about the parts of the book that I enjoyed the most was the interactions between Dick and the the not necessarily all homeless people, but the people in need, uh, some of them being homeless, some not, but the ones that he bought pizza for everybody that, you know, could use a meal um, and his interactions with Barbara, Dick Grayson out of the costume. Those were the best parts of the book. When it, when it got to the Nightwing scenes, it felt a little like been there, done that, you know, Oh, here's a guy harvesting organs from homeless adults and all their kids are left homeless. And we see later on, there's a camp and, and Grayson being the great detective he is, doesn't even realize he goes to the camp looking for his wallet. He tracks his wallet there, ends up saying, Hey, keep it. You need it more than me. Real makes the realization. There's no parents here. It's just a bunch of kids, but then he just leaves. Like, why would you not be asking more questions? Hey, where are your parents at? We know he's going to get to that point, right? And he's going to be on the, the trail of this heartless killer or whoever he is. But that it just feels like I, I've seen that story before, right? Homeless being taken advantage of, being experimented on, being mutated, having their organs stolen, whatever. It just it didn't feel new to me. So that I feel like is kind of where I was I was let down uh, with the issue. But getting back to this idea of this blood haven billionaire and the line that you uh, you quoted there where he's talking to Barbara. So uh, this is that old argument that people make on the, the Internet, especially on Twitter. Bruce Wayne could do so much more with his money if he wasn't obsessed with being Batman and he started all these social programs and blah, 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 right? It's an old, tired argument. Uh, I want to remind everybody that Bruce Wayne is a fictional character and he can't <laughs> help anybody with fake money. Um, but because... There are people out there who've already read this over this last weekend, like ourselves, where, you know, we get these preview copies. Somebody put up, and I might even have been in a preview page. Somebody put that panel up on Twitter, the panel that said, 
Uh, let me get there exactly. The panel that said, I've always thought Batman could have done more as Bruce Wayne. And Barbara responds, I'm sure that's an insight he would take well. And Bruce responds, oh, yeah, Bruce loves per personal criticism. And somebody uh, from a certain Twitter account, I'm not going to name them, said, oh, brother. And it started this whole thing about people arguing th with that same old argument. And then somebody actually tagged Tom Taylor in it and said, hey, you started a war because of this panel. Help. And I like what Tom had to say. Um, he said, well, context is important. You know, you only shared a single panel and you ignored the story. And, uh, you know, I realize this is the Internet content and, uh, and context and intent will never get in the way of good piece of outrage. And it is true. Dick himself even says, I I'm doing the same thing. I'm in a costume. He hasn't had money until now, but I'm in the costume. I'm doing the same sort of thing. And it feels like Dick, the, the whole point of that exchange is that Dick is going to try a different way. But I, I want to finish reading what Tom has to say, because I think it's really important. He goes on to say, Dick has historically put himself out there more in his civilian identity. Bruce has disguised his true self from the public more. Bruce Wayne has still done many incredible charitable things for people. And as Batman, he's one of the greatest heroes. And this isn't the age old Internet argument about Bruce Wayne doing more with his money. This is two people who know him well, discussing how Batman has sacrificed a lot, playing Bruce Wayne as a character, knowing he's done so to protect the people he loves, but knowing the real Bruce Wayne. Is it any wonder his son would like the people to see him as he does? So, you know, he's saying, wouldn't it be great if the world knew Bruce Wayne was Batman and knew all the sacrifices and how noble he, he really is instead of this sort of playboy persona, I think is what, what Taylor's trying to say. He goes on to say, does it really shock people that Dick Grayson would like to see Bruce Wayne lead as well as Batman? This is nothing new. This is something Alfred always wanted to and our series, Nightwing, has some big decisions to make that go beyond the mask. This is the start of that story. I'll end by saying it's okay. Batman doesn't need anyone to defend him. He's Batman, Nightwing's sidekick. So uh, I think it's important as people read this issue to, to keep that in mind. This isn't that age argument of, hey, you have money. You can solve the social um, ills of the world. And, and th the argument that then comes on the heels of that, Batman just beats down on poor people. Uh, and he's some sort of racist or fascist or or whatever. I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to. That's not what this is about. I feel like it's exactly what Tom is saying. He's the writer. He knows what he's trying to say. And what he's trying to say is Bruce could have done more out of the costume as much as he's done in the costume. And that seems to be the path that that Dick wants to take here. Right. He's got all these this money that Alfred's given him. He wants to do just as much outside the costume, whether it's social programs or uh, or helping those that, that need it with a meal or, or whatever it might be. He wants to do more outside the costume, just like he does inside the costume. And it's a good point that Taylor makes that Bruce or that Dick rather has always been more true to who he, he is, willing to show his true self outside the costume. Whereas we all agree, we've talked about it on other podcasts discussing the way people look at Batman Batman is who Bruce Wayne really is and the Bruce Wayne persona that's the mask that's the mask that he wears yeah and you can Batman's argue more the darkness he's always just more he's Batman's just dark, dark, more dark and Dick Grayson is just more light he's just it, it fits his character I mean what you read was, was perfect I I I 100% agree with Tom Taylor. He completely understands Dick Grayson. And this is exactly something that Dick Grayson would do. And let's be clear here. Even if Dick Grayson is wrong, even if his method is wrong and Batman's is better, who cares? 
This is uh, this is Dick Grayson's choice. This is this is his destiny. This is his path, and that's what I like about it. And it feels different, demonstrably different than Batman, which is exactly what we want. You know, we're tired of all these Batman analogs. How is Nightwing different than Batman? Now that he is basically a de facto Bruce Wayne, you got to distinguish him from Bruce Wayne because yeah. now he's the billionaire in another city. How is he going to be different? You know, I mean, that's so it's very interesting that Taylor's taken that approach. Yeah, well, it goes back to my point of what I liked about the issue and what I didn't. This is the stuff that I liked. Dick out of the costume, right? The, where Nightwing was in the costume, it felt a little predictable, felt a little derivative. Like I've read that story before. So if Dick takes those billions and, and turns around and starts creating the Nightwing mobile and the Nightwing copter and the Nightwing boat and, and whatever and a bunch of gadgets and builds bases all around the city. To your point, Rocky, how's that any different than Batman? I have read that story. I'd much rather see him do things like turn Dick Grayson into the Bloodhaven billionaire and uh, fight things in a, in a different way, fight things, uh, you know, with his face, uh, you know, as a social movement. And that's more worth, interesting. It's worth pointing out, too, that Barbara Gordon's in this issue. She she it was Barbara Gordon. It really wasn't Oracle, even though she is Oracle. She never dressed up like Batgirl and she's not going to. And so moving forward with Barbara Gordon, she's embracing being just a citizen herself, doing what she can as Barbara Gordon slash Oracle. And, you know, this is a much more this might be very much more of a, a human based or non costume sort of story. Of course, he's there's going to be costume vigilantes in it. And Nightwing was Dick Grayson certainly is going to be Nightwing. But it's clear that what's going to ground this series is all those character moments that we got early on here with between Barbara and, uh, <laughs> and Dick Grayson and sometimes even involving a, a puppy, a quadruped. And, you know, th and there's a lot of deep emotional moments in this issue as well and tragic moments. I mean, a child loses his father in this in quite an egregious manner in this issue. So this really has everything from humor to to compassion to kindness to terror and murder all in in this second issue. And so, I mean, this this feels like a buildup that I'm I'm enjoying. Yeah, I'm just hoping that in subsequent issues we get a little bit more. Like he can bring those two sides together, because um, it, it like I said, it did feel a bit. It just wasn't as interesting to me once he put the costume on. I, I will also say I would love to see Bruce come to Dick for a loan. Hey, bud, can you spare like ten million? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you cheap bastard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, well, let's move on. Uh, next book we're going to talk about is Justice League number sixty, written by Brian Michael Bendis. Art is by David Marquez. Colors by Tamara Bonvillain. Letters by Josh Reed. And then we do have the uh, the Justice League Dark Backup, which is written by Ram V, art by Zermanico, colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr., and letters by Rob Lee. So uh, we'll start with the main story, Rock. Uh, what did you think? I I was so torn. I actually thought in it. I don't always think in advance what I'm going to say when we do this. This one I've actually thought in advance what I'm going to say, and I, I'm still going to bumble it. And probably won't sound coherent. I'm really torn. There's so much in this Justice League issue that this is so typical Bendis. The dialogue, while it's not as horrible as, I, as it often is, it's still overwrought. It feels like nothing happened in this issue, even though something kind of did. As somebody, uh, if you've already read the six-issue Naomi series, you don't really, like, that will help. 
You don't need to. This this entire issue is a recap. If you know nothing about Naomi, it gives you Naomi's background. Basically, the 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 character called Brutus, who comes from another world, another universe, where N Naomi got her powers from, or Naomi's home world, I guess. Brutus, um, he's disappeared. Apparently, he attacked uh, Themyscira and Hippolyta knocked him back into his world and she ended up there for a while until she was knocked back into ours and batman reads the energy signature black adam has tracked down naomi and superman follows black adam there's an altercation superman then he you could tell from last issue superman thought something was different about black adam and he wants to join he want he asks black adam to join the justice league there is all kinds of dialogue and attempts at humor. I would say Bendis is getting a little bit better at those exchanges, but it's still overwrought. There's too much dialogue. The art here is so beautiful. I hate when we got beautiful art, and we and kudos to uh, the artist uh, David Marquez, right? David Marquez, yep. Yeah, yep. he's great job. And I don't like when it's covered up with unnecessary dialogue. Um, having said that. You know, again, I really feel this issue just, it felt like going from point A to point B. I compare this to the second issue of Nightwing. <laughs> this is the second issue of this. The second issue of Nightwing, I felt uh, had every bit of dialogue, it never felt. There wasn't a one unnecessary bit of dialogue by Tom Taylor. Here, there are literally the entire, there. there's half, half a page of dialogue per page is unnecessary. It doesn't serve really any purpose it gives us no character moments it's just very very bad in attempts at at humor and it's bendis seems intent on putting a character on the page and he thinks that just because a character's on the page they have to say something every every you know if if every single character doesn't utter one thing one word or something on every page he feels like he's maybe betrayed the readership or something and it, and boy does it show but if anyways if Bendis could get out of his way I mean I swear I think if I didn't know better I think I was talking about somebody that just started writing uh, I don't remember his dialogue being this bad when I was reading his classic works it, it, but I don't know maybe in any event uh, this, this is okay this is okay uh, it's not blowing me away I uh, I know exactly what's going to happen. We're we're, we're going to end up six issues in. We're not going to learn anything about Naomi's homeworld, and they're going to the the Justice League with Naomi is going to end up going to her homeworld. They're going to be a fight. They're going to learn nothing. There are there are at least two moments in this issue where something is about to be revealed, and Naomi interrupts before they can say something actually that moves the plot. <laughs> It's it's ridiculous. It's and Bendis Bendis did that repeatedly in Superman for an entire year. He did it repeatedly in Action Comics. He did it repeatedly in the Legion of Superheroes. He did it repeatedly in Young Justice, where just when you think you're getting a moment of revelation of what's going on, somebody interrupts with useless dialogue, a vain attempt at humor. Huh? Hello, what? Hey, how you doing? Hey, what? You know. You know, it just, just it's, it's almost like that. It's that old '90s Friends dialogue, and it's, it's frustrating as hell to me. And again, th there's a story here to be told, and I think Bendis is, is hell bent on dragging this out. 
<laughs> man, I'll, I don't know, man. Help me out, Jace, man. Am I going crazy or am I reading too much into it? No, I mean, all you have to do is flip through the book or scroll if you get it digitally and just look at how many goddamn word balloons are on every page. It is absolutely ridiculous and unnecessary. <laughs> so instead of pacing and plotting this correctly, what Bendis does, if you're watching this on, on YouTube, we get this recap. I'll go back to the page you had, Rock. Oh, we get sorry, this recap but... page. Yeah. yeah, we get this recap page where he gives us four paragraphs of text that basically bring us up to speed because Bendis didn't want to take the time to actually write this out. So instead, because of where it ends last issue and where he wants to start here, there's a big gap. So in order to bridge it, he goes, I'll just put in these four text paragraphs so people will know where we're at. Right. And so then we get a story instead of if, if instead of those four text paragraphs, he could have actually shown us that and and paced and plotted it correctly and scripted it correctly and would have been a really tight issue where we felt like we got a big chunk of story. Instead, he gives us these four text paragraphs to get us, quote unquote, caught up. And then he spends the majority of the issue, like Rocky said, trying to crack jokes and trying to be clever. And uh, we there's not hardly any action in it. The only action is whenever this villain Brutus shows up and fights against uh, Hippolyta. And then we get a few other call-outs to other things, which which at least he does that, you know, at least he's trying to add a little continuity. We obviously know there's history from the Endless Winter storyline with Apollida. She doesn't trust Black Adam because of everything that went down there, and you can see why she doesn't want to have anything to do with him. So at least that's okay. But just like Jeffrey Thorne's Green Lantern number one was uh, might as well have been called, you know, John Stewart is the greatest. This might as well be called Naomi's the greatest. You know, we're Superman is praising her. Batman, oh, you're you're so good, even though you're just a little kid and you're so powerful, and you've got to be the one to lead us into your dimension. You're the only one that's ever been there. Blah blah blah. Yeah, we get it, Bendis. You created a a, a young, strong female black character, and and she's been well received. Great. Uh, you know, one of the thousands of characters you've created in the last ten years. Uh, something finally hit the wall and stuck. Kudos to you. Oh, wait, maybe it was David Walker that actually made that work because he actually scripted the story. So uh, this is not any good. Um, it's it's Bendis doing Bendisy things. Um, like you said, every character's got to say something on the page. Uh, the, the one thing that I will say that he did that I found interesting was when the, the league gets together, they're like, all right, Naomi, stay here. We got to go talk. And she even says, but why we know what they're up there talking about, whether or not I should be allowed in the league or what have you. I thought it was interesting. The, uh, the point, how political he made Superman, like Superman. I, I don't want to say he was manipulating everybody else, but he kind of was, you know, in the way that he says things. And even the other members of the league kind of mentioned that they're like, well, he's Superman. And when he uses that voice, how do you really argue with them? And so, adding that in showing the characterization that even the other members of the justice league are, are sort of intimidated by him because he's Superman and you want to trust him and you want to trust his opinion. I thought that was kind of interesting. I haven't seen that done before, maybe because it does make Superman seem like he's a, a little manipulative. I, I don't think it does because you know, Superman is he he's not saying anything to get somebody to go along with him that he doesn't believe, you know, he's being persuasive, but everything he says, he believes in a hundred percent. So I did think that that was uh, okay. But other than that, most of the issue is, you know, it, it's forgettable. 
Um, I feel like this whole arc will be forgettable. Bendis can no longer correctly pace a comic uh, or script a comic. And I don't know. I've never been a fan of him. I know people used to talk about his dialogue, how great it was. But maybe it's what Rocky said, you know, it's that 90s kind of friends idea. And, and we've moved past that now, you know, yeah. show us in the art. Don't tell us uh, as far as the art. I mean, it's David Marquez and he's an incredible artist. I don't know that he's the right artist for for Justice League, though, and, and I'll tell you why. So when he was doing Ultimate Spider-Man with Bendis, I thought he was he was perfect. Ultimate Spider-Man, when it was uh, Peter Parker and especially when it was the Miles Morales version, it's a very human story in that way. You know, you're talking about characters that their flaws are inherent and they're on display. And it's the fact that they're heroic despite those flaws and overcoming the obstacles they, they have in their life that makes them who they are, right? That's just sort of baked into Marvel properties, as it were. Yeah. This is different. This is DC. This is Justice League. This is sort of the big seven, right? I mean, and I know that it's not necessarily big seven here because we don't have Green Lantern and and Aquaman or uh, uh, Martian Manhunter or those kind of guys. It's, you know, Green Arrow and Black Canary. Or whatever. But, but my point still stands. These are... The, the big heroes of the DC universe, the gods, if you will, of the DC universe. And so an art style that brings out the human side of that, I don't know that it's the best choice. I'm And I'm not saying the art is bad at all. The art is gorgeous. It's beautiful. I just And maybe Bendis is trying to tell a more human style story for this sort of uh, story that he's telling, you know. But I would say as much as... The Jorge Jimenez art got really frenetic on the Scott Snyder run of Justice League. It did have that bombastic over the top feel where you felt it was big stakes and there was big events going on. This art is not that this art is very kind of emotional and I would almost use the word kind of soft, you know, and that's not to say that his line work isn't good or the art's not clean, but it just has a like a softer, more gentle feel, just a more emotional humanistic feel and and i don't know if that's going to end up working for the story or not so ultimately this is average it showcases the the faults of bendis's work most recently or maybe they've always been there and people are finally just man we're tired of the like to use your phrase rocky overwrought dialogue and and really poor pacing is what it comes down to don't give me four paragraphs to get me caught up just show me that in the story and don't waste so much real estate on the page trying to crack jokes. But uh, I, I will give one compliment to him. For fans of Naomi, absolutely pick this up. Oh, yeah. If, if you're fans yeah, of Naomi, 100%. you will love this. It's, it centers on Naomi. And if you're if, if you're not a fan of Naomi, you probably don't want to pick it up. But, like, honestly, Naomi is the star of this show. Uh, I was a little surprised that Batman, you know, everyone in the Justice League thinks it's a great idea to invite this completely inexperienced girl with, with them to another uh, universe to, to battle. Not just invite, she's supposed to lead yeah, them. Lead, yeah, yeah, you go first. Like, really? But so this does feel forced. That part of the narrative feels forced. But I, I, I get it. This is sort of like, you know, they want to promote Naomi and, and hey, she's got a TV show coming out apparently and another they got plans for her so I gotta say if you come into this story blind not knowing anything else these first two issues you're gonna be okay Bendis gives might be slow going Bendis does it's overwrought dialogue and you're kind of spoon fed, spoon fed things but this 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 is not this is not terrible 
This isn't, you know, this is something that, you know, if you enjoy the six issues of Naomi, you're going to enjoy this, Yeah, I, I think. But, yeah, I, I would agree. I'd much rather, if you want to tell this story about Naomi, just put it in another volume of Naomi yeah. and give me a true Justice League book, but... <laughs> I'm not I'm not Murray Javins. I'm not making those decisions. So uh, as far as the backup, I don't really have much to say. Um, you know, it's it's well paced. It's well scripted. It's Ram V. The art by Zerm, uh, Manico is, is done really, really well. I liked the um, the exchange between Batman and uh, and Demon or Batman. You know, basically the demon is coming to the Justice League going, hey, uh, remember that future state story where I was told about how Merlin's going to come back and ruin the world? We got to stop that. And Batman's basically saying, okay, he's a magic user, or not even Batman, the whole Justice League are saying, well, the, that's a magic problem. So you, magic people, John Constantine, Zatanna, um, Detective Chimp, and, and Etrigan, you go and solve that problem. And we think Zatanna should be the leader. And Zatanna's like, I, I, I shouldn't be the leader. I don't know how to do that. Diana led us last time. Well, Diana's not here. Zatanna, we, we think you're the, the woman for the job. And when the demon comes up to Batman after, Batman basically says, hey, look out for Zatanna. Don't hurt her. I'll come for you. And the demon's like, you do realize I'm a demon from hell, right? And Batman says, yeah, and I'm fucking Batman, basically. <laughs> so I thought that I thought that was a cool moment. Um, but not, not much happened here. Um, but this is the problem with putting the, this Justice League dark story as a backup in, in Justice League. We, we're going to get really small chunks. So there's going to be issues where not that much. I mean, how much can happen in eight pages? I, I wish that uh, I wish we were getting a Justice League dark book, to be honest. Or, or just give us a Justice League book. Don't even call it Justice League dark. But with the Justice League dark characters, yeah. take the story that Bendis is telling in Justice League. Call that book Naomi and just give us a Justice League book that's the Justice League Dark story. Yeah, it's I, I found it funny right off the bat uh, with uh with the demon Etric in there. He's he's talking to the he's they're, they're sitting they're sitting at the table and of course the, the the demon's telling he's obviously told him the story about the uh sorry I'm getting some backlog here, but but anyways, he's obviously telling them the story about uh, probably I'm assuming future state because he, he must, because the demon r remembers it and we know it's a, it's a yep. potential threat. Merlin, Merlin, the Merlin, the, the sorcerer is, is a threat. And Green Arrow makes the joke that, you know, his, you know, his Merlin, his arch enemy Merlin is probably more dangerous because he thinks it's a joke because obviously they don't really appreciate just how deadly that the, the magic, how deadly and how powerful uh, the magician Merlin actually is. Uh, one interesting little tidbit here, uh, there I, I was actually impressed how much there was in actually eight pages, but it was just in the fine print. There's a bookstore owner that uh, there's a bookstore owner who, uh, who, that Merlin approaches and Merlin requests all the, the writings of a Jorge Luis, Luis Borge, Borge. And I guess this, this, uh, Hort, uh, or Orhe Louis Borge, Borge is is a real world writer, and he has something called a Borgian conundrum, and the conundrum is: Does the writer write the story, or does the story write him? And Merlin in the story takes the book of this author and 
makes the book come to life. And so I think that's a play on the Borgian conundrum that he's making that, you know, who writes the story? Does the story write, does this, does a story write the writer? Does the writer write the story? And it, it, I think it's, I think thematically, and I think that's one of the underpinnings of the story and where, where Merlin's power might lie. I, I, I think that the reference by Ram V to that Arthur, I think that's intentional. He's done that, by the way, he did that in Swamp Thing, and he did that. He does that in his writings from time to time, and I believe he even made a reference in Catwoman to a, to a, another book. In any event, Rory Regan, the Ragman, ends up showing up, the the Mystic Vigilante, and he's the one where each patch in his suit contains the soul of an evil doer. And it just so happens Rory Regan happens to help out uh, at this bookstore page by page where this where Merlin entered to to obtain these books. And obviously, the the bookstore owner, unfortunately, was uh, w- was killed by these uh, creatures that Merlin released. But clearly, clearly, Merlin is moving toward his end game that we know will happen in future state. And of course, uh, hopefully, de- the demon Etrigan will be able to prevent that future from happening, which is what Doctor Fate told him was possible at the end of future state. So. Overall, for eight pages, I actually, I personally was impressed. I thought there was a, I thought there was a lot of information here that I think potentially might bear fruit uh, as the story progresses. Yeah, possible. You know, I do think Justice League Dark. We did have Wonder Woman, like I mentioned. We did have Swamp Thing. Obviously, Alec Holland is dead. And we have a different Swamp Thing now. Whether or not he'll show up in these pages, who knows? I mean, Ramvi's writing both. It's entirely possible. Obviously, Wonder Woman is off doing her own thing in uh valhalla so she's not here ragman could join the team possible man bats no longer on the team uh if i were etrigan and i wanted to stop that future state stuff from coming to pass i'd be looking for dr fate personally he would be the one so i'm going to be curious to see how the ranks of, of justice league dark grow i mean like i said there's only four members currently with constantine detective chimp zatanna and uh and the demon so i guess we'll see all right, uh, let's move on to the next book. It's uh, Speaking of Ram V, it's Catwoman. Uh, Good Intentions is the title of issue number 30. Ram V is the writer, Fernando Blanco, artist, Jordi Belair on colors, Tom Napolitano on letters. Uh, like I said, this was a sort of a down issue for me. Uh, Catwoman is normally a book I really look forward to. There's a lot of action last issue with Catwoman going and, and quote-unquote rescuing Edward Nigma, who apparently was whacked out on some kind of crazy meth, uh, which was uh, these amphetamines, which were helping him amplify and focus his mind. And apparently they were cut with this other sort of substance and come to find out that substance is something that, that poison ivy is creating. And it's causing these drugs to be more addictive or more potent or, or something like that. So yeah. we know poison ivy is uh, has been captured and is being used by this uh, this criminal cabal. So it's up to Selena Kyle to go and rescue her, and that's what she's trying to do. After she, I won't say tortures Nigma, but but interrogates him uh, very intensely. I'll say, um, yeah. and then of course we have uh, the killer that the penguin hired uh, father valley who's a very enigmatic and apparently very dangerous character the way ram v writes him he takes out quite a few of the penguins men pretty simply um and he he tells the the penguins because uh 
Valley shot Nigma last issue, Penguin's like, hey, I didn't hire you to, to shoot my colleagues, to shoot my fellow criminals. You're supposed to be taking out Catwoman. And he's toying with, like, he's had chances to shoot her before. He hasn't. He's got some weird kind of code that he follows and whatever. And he he tell, he reminds Penguin in this issue, the Catwoman shall die by my hand. Until then, beware the storm. It's like, you've hired me. I will do the job. But you don't have any control over me. You don't tell me what to do. Basically, the guy's crazy. Uh, you know, bat yeah. crap crazy. Uh, and so I guess we'll <laughs> see where, where that where that leads. Um, but... Ram V does kind of bring it back at the end to what he does best. I feel like with these Catwoman stories or what would I love best? He sets it up for a heist. Uh, Poison Ivy has been, I don't know if she was sold or, or, or what, but she's now in the, the hands of this private art collector who, who collects very rare pieces of art. So apparently the, the, whoever this group was that were using her to cut these drugs has, has moved on uh, from it and they dismantled their, their laboratory and what have you and sold uh, sold it to this guy who's giving this show not not to show off or sell anything to these other uber rich art collectors, but just to show them what he has that they'll never be able to have. So, you know, he's a pretty much a jackass at that point. Um, but yeah, I did feel like a little bit of a of a down issue. Like uh, once again, we're we're setting up the following issue, which will be, I imagine, uh, a lot of action and maybe some sort of heist or or you know, freeing poison ivy or what have you. Last issue felt. Really action-packed, uh, whereas this issue there was there was very little action beyond uh, Father Valley fighting the the Penguin's henchmen. Um, so it, it's still scripted very well. It's paced very well. It's Ram V. Uh, the Fernando Blanco art is tone perfect. It's it's raining <laughs> the entire issue, which gives it a sort of this interesting feel. Um, because it definitely feels like this dirty, gritty Gotham city that we've all sort of come to, to know, but it also, with that rain constantly falling, it feels very somber. Um, we're also reminded that Selena and Bruce have agreed to kind of stay out of each other's way for a year. Uh, that happened in Batman 101. So that's why she doesn't go to, to Batman and ask any help with rescuing poison Ivy or, let him know about the drugs that are being cut with whatever substance she's uh, creating. And we also have some mysterious figure in a, in a hat and trench coat that comes and gives Selena a lot of inf information. That's how Selena finds out about this Sid Hart Roy gentleman who's uh, basically bought poison Ivy uh, and who this is. I mean, kind of look like, like it could be the question or something, but it, I mean, we don't see his face. It's only uh, in shadow and he, he just calls himself a friend for now and then sort of disappears after giving uh, Catwoman the information. So whether it's a new character, whether it's matches Malone, whether it turns out to be Batman helping out, I guess we'll see. So it's still a solid issue. Um, just not my favorite that, that Ram V has done so far because it does feel like set up for, uh, for the next issue. I, I love this issue. I, I, it still gets high marks from me. I didn't feel that it dragged for me. I It's called Good Intentions. And, you know, it's building on a theme that if I didn't know better, I would think that Selena's going through a little bit of what uh, Dick Grayson's going through over in Bloodhaven because, you know, as you as you said, uh, you know, her and Bat Selena and Batman have, a, have an agreement. They, they sort of, they're taking a year break from each other. And Selena herself is struggling with, you know, she wants, she wants to 
do what she can for her stray cats, for her strays, and she wants to help the homeless people of Alleytown. She is also trying to come to terms with the best way to help the people of Alleytown in her own way. And she, you could tell that Selena would prefer probably not having to be Catwoman. Uh, however, she keeps getting dragged back in. And this Father Valley character, who I think is kudos to Fernando Blanco, good Oh my God, Fernando Blanco, his art's fantastic. That scene was cinematic the way he drew Father Father Valley approaching the penguin and the penguin's men. I mean, the penguin was initially afraid of Father Valley. He apologized to him. He called him Mr. Valley, or sorry, uh, I mean Father Valley. You could tell that the penguin is intimidated by him. And then he even smiled because Father Valley knew that the penguin, he intimidates the penguin. And, and, and then the penguin, you know, retaliated and all his men pulled pull their guns on him. And, and that fight scene, I mean, it was beautifully, beautifully laid out by Fernando Blanc. Just absolutely, it's beautifully illustrated, very well done. And it's moments like that. And kudos to Jody Belair on the colors. I thought it just, it really played out uh, very, very well. Um, and then... And then, so then we, we get the, we get scenes uh, at the beginning with Selena with the Riddler and basically quasi torturing him. Uh, so we got those character moments. You can tell she, she doesn't like Batman's rogues gallery. She hates dealing with them. You know, I mean, Ram V understands that unlike Tom King, who's having, you know, Selena arguably hinting that Selena slept with the Joker over in Batman Catwoman. <laughs> Ram V knows. No, Selena doesn't like Batman's rogues gallery. She hates the Riddler. It shows, but she's not a cruel person. She'll she'll save uh, Edward Nigma's life, and of course, she that's exactly what she did. But she wants to, she wants to protect the people of Alleytown. And when she heard about the only reason she says she saved Edward Nigma's life, although I think she's exaggerating, is because he did mention poison ivy. And if ivy is hurt, of course, Selena. Selena, of course, used to be with along with Harley Quinn, member of the Gotham City Sirens. And so she wants to make sure she wants to protect Ivy. She wants to, if heart, if poison Ivy, if, if something in po Ivy's body is being extracted as the cutting agent for these amphetamines that is causing all this dread for the people of Alleytown, she's going to get to the bottom of it. And of course that leads her to the gala, the, the, the mystery man uh, telling her about Sid Hand Roy and it wouldn't be Catwoman without a, her Selena, attending uh, a banquet and looking absolutely gorgeous. And again, the art, Fernando Blanco, good Lord, he, he, he can draw a beautiful woman, sexy as hell. I'm in for the ride here. I, th this was just a, I love this. I love this. I've been loving this, Fernando Blanco's art and, and Rambi, right from Future State on, right till now. To me, it's been a straight line of enjoyment for me. Kudos. Yeah, it's 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 not bad by any by any stretch, but it, it to me, yeah, it did just feel like a little bit of of setup. But you need those issues. Every, I've said it all the time. Everything can't be you know dialed up to eleven all the time because then there's no contrast of story. So, yeah. all right, let's move on to the Flash number seven sixty nine, Blink of an Eye chapter two, written by Jeremy Adams. We have. Brandon Peterson and David LaFuente as artists. Last issue, it was Brandon Peterson and Marco Santucci. So, I don't know. Peterson can't handle an issue on his own. He always has to have help. Uh, I'm not, not really sure what's going on there. Uh, Mike Atea and Luis Guerrero. Again, same two colors from last issue. And then Steve Wands on letters. A uh, lot of uh, 
what do they call her? The gold beetle here. So gold what do you think, Rob? <laughs> What's that? What did you think? Give us your thoughts. Uh, well, uh, this issue, it's entitled Blink of an Eye. And uh, it what well, it we hit the ground running. Uh, something is happening with the Speed Force. The Speed Force is tr apparently trying to heal itself, and it's using Wally West in an attempt to heal itself. And it appears that Wally West seems to be jumping. His consciousness seems to be jumping from body to body, ostensibly into different members who might have a connection to the speed force and the fear is is that wally might just be he's a ghost now that they can't they need to find wally west's body like where's his body because his consciousness is transferred to the 31st century into the mind of, of of impulse bart allen and of course he has an adventure there with gold beetle and this was a this was kind of a fun issue this was a fun issue and i even liked that even the the way they played with uh even the, the way writer Jeremy Adams played with time, it wasn't complicated. It was kind of fun. Uh, you know, Wally's in the future with uh, trapped in Wally, trapped in Impulse's body, and he can communicate with, you know, uh, Barry Allen and, and Green Arrow and Mr. Terrific, figure out a way to communicate with him in the future because every time Wally West seals, they, they use the idea of like a, think of a, a leaking hose. Every time Wally West fixes something in the past or in the future, it's it's, and the, he uh, he covers the seal up, and then the speed some aspects of the Speed Force are restored, and so Barry Allen and other speedsters are slowly getting their speed back every time Wally heals a portion of the Speed Force at different aspects in time, and that's what he's sort of going to be trying to do in the future as Impulse, uh, and but he needs a device in order to do it, and. I like the little play. They go to the Flash Museum and Barry Allen and Mr. Terrific and Green are in the present. They plant the speed, plant the device that Wally needs. They put it in the museum, in the Flash Museum in the present. And then in the future, Wally literally just breaks in with Gold Beetle into the future Flash Museum and 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 and, and retrieves it. Very simplistic, not a complicated storyline, not a complicated issue. And ultimately, uh, you know, they're, He's successful. It's it's interesting to uh, uh, listening to the uh, something that that Gold Beetle said. The last time we saw Gold Beetle was other than the int last issue was we saw her in the eight hundred and fifty third century in Future State, where where there was the the Justice League of the eight hundred and fifty third century along with Black Adam. They were ultimately consumed up, but Black Adam was sent back into the present. So that's interesting because she makes a reference because uh, Gold Beetle uses tech from the 853rd century to be able to listen in to sort of the communication between Wally and Barry. And I thought that I, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, the speed force affects different physiologies differently. And this this dominator is infected by increasing in size. The dinosaurs that were infected with the speed force last issue, they got the they got the superpower Super of speed. speed. Yeah. The dominator gets increased in size and this ultimately this issue, this this adventure is resolved or it culminates with this device that Wally has thrown into the dominator and it lowers his sizes and then Wally West is transported again only and he's 
I guess next issue we're gonna he's in World War Two. He's gonna be, you know, we end up with a with a teaser image of World War Two for next issue. This is fun. I I this is it's a, it's a little bit of little bit tropey. You know, you could tell it's you know Jeremy Adams, but is you know having him probably go on an adventure through time. But I could tell Jeremy Adams is the writer. He's having fun with this. I like the dialogue. It's funny. I wish Bendis understood what humor was and how to do humor like this. This this dialogue was. I thought it was fun. It was uh, quirky. Uh, I actually find Gold Beetle to be more likable than than Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. Quite frankly, <laughs> I thought the co- coloring was really well done. Mike at Atea and Luis Guerrero on the colors did an excellent job, and. Kudos to the artist David uh, Lafuente and Brandon Peterson. I was just overall, I was um, just put a smile on my face again. I, I don't know. I, I like it. What do you think? Again, I just thought it was okay. I mean, once we find out, okay, Wally's body's gone. Okay, so wait, he's jumping around through time, <laughs> and he doesn't have a body. His body's still out there somewhere, and he's he's hoping each time he leaps. His next leap will be the leap home into his like own body. Leap? <laughs> Sound familiar, right? It's like, God, it's so derivative. We've, we, you know, that story has been done before. Also, how many goddamn times have we had the story of Wally or Barry trapped in the goddamn speed force? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, yeah, something's wrong with the speed force. Something's wrong with the speed force. So-and-so is trapped in the speed force. Like, I don't know, man. It's not, it's not really speaking to me. Uh, in terms of the originality of the story. Now, that being said, I do agree with you. Gold Beetle is, is funny. Uh, the fact that she has, instead of skeets, she has beats uh, is is funny. Yeah. Um, it, it's well-paced. The art, for the most part, is is pretty solid. Uh, the color work is outstanding. Uh, the, lay, the, the page layout, the way the panels are laid out on the page works really, really well. It's continuing that tradition that you see in Flash of... Very distinct panel layouts. Which Brett Booth was really good at, at doing that and making very dynamic pages. So that all works really well. I'm going to be curious to see. We did get that teaser at the end that, that Wally has leaped to back to World War II, like Rocky said. We see two Justice Society, or maybe I should say All-Star Squadron characters there, Jay Garrick, Flash, and the Ray. So which one Wally's in is going to be. I hope he's in the Ray because that would just be so interesting. Having Wally leap into Jay Garrick. Like we know Jay Garrick, you know, he, that, Jay Garrick has the same powers. It'd be more interesting. You want to have something original to have Wally having been, uh, you know, leapt into the race. So I, I guess we'll wait. We'll have to wait and see on that. So again, I thought it was okay. Um, can you scroll back to that previous page that you had on there? There is one, one thing I mentioned it last time about how Brandon Peterson likes to outline his character's, and again, it just bugs me if you look at that Mr. Terrific there in that middle panel, how he's all outlined in red. I, I just don't know why Peterson does that. It makes it look real plastic and fake looking. I, I don't understand why he does that. It, 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 I, like, I mean, it is really obvious. That was the worst uh, time that he did. I mean, he does it in, in the panels below that too. Flash is outlined in orange, Green Arrow's line outlined in green, Mr. Terrific's still in red, but it's not like that one particular panel. I was just like, oh, here, here he goes again, outlining people. Maybe it's he wants us to be able to tell which which panels he drew and which panels somebody else drew. Because you can definitely tell whenever you go to a page and you see the characters outlined like that, 
we know it's Brandon Peterson did those pages as opposed to David Lafuente. <laughs> I just don't know why he does it. it. It it pulls me out of the story. It's I don't I don't care for that. Hmm. So yeah. Anyway, but overall, it doesn't bother oh, me. It doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. But uh, I I can I can see where you're coming from. Sure. Well, it it didn't used to bother me as much, but the more I see it, the more it starts to just grate on me because it's un it's unnecessary. And sometimes it, in some pages it doesn't bother me as much. Um, if you if you go back to where uh, they're in the speed lab, Barry and um, I guess it's Mr. Terrific, and they're in sort of their uh, their civilian identities. When they're outlined there, I don't know. Maybe it's because the outlines are more close. The color he chooses to outline with is not so. It blends into the background a little more. So it's not so apparent. I don't mind it as much there, but yeah, there are times where it just drives me crazy. So, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it, it this is okay. Again, it, it's, it's not terrible. Um, it definitely has more of a feel of, of something actually happening as opposed to when we got toward the end of Joshua Williamson's run where it felt like, God, is this ever going to end? Is there anything ever going to happen? Um, so it is, it is more, kind of action-packed and you know even if we are getting a story that's a little bit derivative at least at least we're getting something something's happening you know uh while he's moving around through time and and what have you and obviously we all know it's leading up to wally being being back to being the flash and um and barry allen will move off to be part of justice incarnate and and what have you so uh the uh one last thing i'll say is i, I thought the variant cover was <laughs> terrible uh, the look on Flash's face, I got, yeah, yeah, I just thought that was real, real bad. So, uh, anyway, let's, let's move on unless you had anything else to add. Yeah, no, it's all good. All right. Uh, Superman red and blue number two. So this is the, uh, the six issue anthology of Superman with a bunch of different characters or, or creators rather getting to tell their Superman stories. Main cover by Nicholas Scott. Our variant covers by David Cho and Brian Boland, and I was I was surprisingly disappointed in the Boland cover. You know, you hear Brian Boland, and I think, oh, this is going to be so great, and it was just okay. So, anyway, we've got uh, stories. Uh, the first one is "Own," written by Stephen T. Siegel, illustrated by Duncan Rouleau, with uh, letters by Pat Brousseau. We have "Into the Ghost Town," written by Chuck Brown, art by Dennis Cowan and John Stanisi, colors by Chris Sotomayor, lettered by Dave Sharp. We have Patience, written and illustrated by Dan Panosian. My Best Friend Superman, written by Stephanie Phillips, illustrated by Marley Zarcone, and lettered by Rob Lee. S is for Cyborg, written and illustrated by Jason Howard, lettered by Tom Napolitano. And that's it. So what'd you think? Uh, it was, well, I guess we'll, I guess starting, uh, nothing here really stirred out as really blowing me away or, you know, it was the whole thing was sort of meh to me, but you know, we can uh, just starting off. Their their first uh, story was "Own" by writer Stephen uh, T. Segal uh, or Siegel, and this is just a Martha Kent story where she's talking to a bunch of. It's, <laughs> it's kind of boring actually. It's just the, it's just mom talking to other moms, and they're talking about their boy. They're about, talking about their kids and. And the one mother, the one lady was just trying to imply that, you know, because you don't have your own kid that, you know, that, that, you know, you, it's not the same. And, 
And then it's just, it was just Martha saying, well, you know, she has the same fears and worries and love for her child as anyone else. And as she's saying that, that's juxtaposed against images of, uh, of, you know, young Clark and old Clark and just growing up. And, and I thought, you know, it was nice. I mean, uh, Duncan Rouleau, I thought the artistic style was, was, was different. I, I thought it was, I thought it was nice. It was, it was, you know, it was nice enough. It was good enough. It was, but you know, it was just meh, you know, <laughs> nothing, you know, like I say, I mean, it's not, it, there was nothing revelatory really, but it was, it was nice that, you know, Martha Kent got some love, you know, I mean, we, in this issue, definitely, you know, an older uh, Martha, but, uh, you know, and, and it ends with young, you know, it ends with Clark Kent coming in and meeting his mother for lunch and meeting the, the, the other ladies and, and uh, she's proud of her son. And, you know, it's, you know, it's just, it's just those moments, you know, it's, it sort of reminds me. I know, I know sometimes my mom will always, you know, when, when an old friend of her comes to town, she always wants to make sure that all her kids come to, you know, cause she, you know, parents always want to show off their kid. Right. And so I, I like I, the ending sort of like, you know, with Clark Kent, you know, Oh good. Clark's here. You know, <laughs> I, it just sort of reminds me of that. So it was, it was just a feel good story. And this whole, this whole issue was just a feel good story. If you, this whole thing, if you want to, if you just want stories to put a smile on your face and very simple, straightforward Superman stories, I mean, this is, you know, this is definitely the thing that you'd want to pick up. So, yeah, I don't know why it's not doing it for me. You know, I'm such a big Superman fan. And, and the whole point of this again, is is okay. Every, every story is just in tones of red, white, and blue. That's where the, Superman red and blue comes from. So all the stories basically they're all colored in reds and blues. And then you have the white as the negative space. Maybe that's why emotionally these aren't landing for me. Uh, if you want to read a great Stephen T Siegel Superman story, I'd suggest you go read it's a bird, which is sort of a, an autobiographical story from Stephen T Siegel and, and Superman is a, a fictional character in it. And it, it's very heartfelt and it's, uh, it was nominated for awards, and it's just an incredible piece of uh, of uh, of comic book work. It's sort of a smaller graphic novel, yeah, it's uh, and it's good. it's excellent. Yeah, yeah. Um, excellent. but this yeah, this didn't really land for me. I mean, it. I get the point, right? Like, yeah, they're they're <laughs> these old these old biddies. I'll call them are giving uh, Martha Kent a bit. Oh, you don't understand because he's not really your own. Uh, and to her point at the end that she makes, like you said, Rocky, he he Superman belongs to all of us. Obviously. When she's ta talking to her two friends, she, they don't realize that everything has a double meaning, right? Because she knows he's Superman, they don't. So that's sort of the secret to the to the story. And Superman does really belong to all of us, and that's what we're reminded of. But yeah, I did I did sort of feel like it it didn't quite land, and I, I have a feeling it's the colors that aren't aren't working for me. Um, so anyway, the next story is uh, a Val Zod story. The most interesting thing about it is how there's this almost werewolf-like looking version of Crypto. Um, you know, he's much more anthropomorphic. He's, or maybe it's he's just a regular dog that looks more wolf-like that's in this suit of armor that has I, arms I, I've and never legs. seen that before. I, I, I collected the entire Earth 2 series and Earth 2 Society, and I don't, I don't remember I, th I don't remember Crypto being in any issue if if there if he was i i must have had a brain fart for a long time i it's news yeah, to me i don't think he, 
Yeah, I don't think he was either. And I've also seen never I've never seen Crypto's word balloons shaped in uh, the shape of a dog bone, <laughs> which I actually really thought was cool. You definitely yeah. know whenever it's crypto talking because yeah. that's the dog bone. Uh, and we have Prometheus, who's, you know, sort of a classic uh, Justice League villain. I think it was Grant Morrison that uh, that created him. Uh, and seeing Val Zod go against him is, is kind of cool because you're sort of mixing continuities. Um, but at the end of the day, this just felt really choppy and it ends and it's just like, okay, it, it's over. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I didn't really get it. I, I, I don't know. Uh, and the ghost zone where Prometheus is, is living. And um, I didn't think the Dennis Cowan art was as clean as I'm used to seeing from Cowan. But again, I feel like the colors are not doing him any favors here. It's making it sort of muddy. Um, so I, I, I don't know. This one again, it was was just okay. The best thing about it is the uh, the dog bone shaped word balloons. Yeah, I, I agree. Actually, it's it's kind of sad that the the biggest thing that stands out about this is the dog is crypto because <laughs> that that was the most jarring. And I agree with you hundred percent on the uh, kudos for mentioning the word balloon shaped like a dog bone. That was that's that's actually quite humorous. <laughs> and that that really hit. It's. I guess what I'm thinking is Val Zod's got a lot of very positive press lately. And of course there might be a, a, a black Superman and he's got a lot of press in the, in the spec market. And I think that, I think right now, I think it's kind of unfortunate if we're going to have, I, I think the color palette that you talk about, obviously the red and blue, I don't think it's, uh, I think it would have been better if this story would have been told maybe, just in, in standard color or what, what, what have you, and maybe a little bit more flushed out on the narrative. Cause I, like you, I wasn't entirely sure what the, like even the, 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 the name of the story itself, ghost zone. I'm not even sure exactly what that's about, but uh, it was a, it was a little bit, a little bit surprising to me, but um, in any event, uh, uh, yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of, yeah, man. Yeah, this is probably yeah. my least probably favorite, probably to be honest. Favorite. Other than the fact that you know having crypto in there was kind of cool, but beyond that, it was it was very meh to me. I, I really don't yeah, have much my... to add to it. And the art was, I thought the art was kind of mediocre myself too. But uh. I know I almost feel bad saying that when it's Dennis Cowan, you know, the guy's a legend. But it was definitely my my least favorite uh, as well. Uh, next one is all done by Dan Panosian. What what do you think about that one? Uh oh, the Dan Panosian one. Okay, that's the so that's cyborg. No, it's the it's the one right after Ghost Zone uh, with uh, Lex Luthor and the uh, package. Oh, the red kryptonite. Oh. Okay. Well, I don't have a thumbnail for that one. I can try to. Uh, let me see here. Uh, patience. I the patience one. I I didn't mind. Uh, it's it's interesting that uh, Lex Luthor. I, I like the lesson that that Lex Luthor learned in in the story, and that is basically that uh, uh, basically his that the lesson that Lex Luthor learns is is patience is is to, is exactly what the title is called. That you know, Superman always has patience, and uh, Superman always is always successful because he. He, he he takes his time. He does what needs to be done. Whereas Lex Luthor is always the the the, the writer did a really good job of. Uh, sorry, I have to 
uh, yeah, it was Pinocchio. He 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 did it all. He wrote it and drew it. Oh, okay, yeah, because he did a really good job showing just how impulsive Lex Luthor is, and uh, it's it's incredible to me how you know at the end, you know at the end, I like at the end the the red kryptonite that Lex Luthor has. He's he's not going to be using it. He's going to be putting it in storage. It reminded me of the end of of Indiana Jones in the in of the Indiana yeah. Jones movie where you know you you know you know you you're just putting putting it away for now and he's patient and he's he's learning to slowly develop a plan more strategic because Lex Luthor is a, a is a super genius and he can usually come up with a plan to defeat anybody immediately right away and he doesn't need to think much about it cuz he's Lex Luthor but Superman's a different story cuz Superman can think just as fast as he can but he's also got all those powers so this is a nice short story of probably the first time that Lex Luthor learned the the hard way uh, that, you know, having patience against Superman is crucial if you're ever going to successfully defeat him. So, yeah, no, I, th I thought it was very well done. And it reminded me of an old Silver Age story. And I've got the Silver Age cover. I should have took it out where where Lex Luthor and Superman get into a boxing match. I think some of those scenes, I'm pretty sure most of those are homages to Silver Age stories. I'd be willing to bet because the one just reminded me so much of the Silver Age. And I even got some vibes of the uh, Superman versus Muhammad Ali <laughs> uh, issue uh, as well. Uh, but in any event, I, I liked it. It was actually pretty good. Yeah, this is my favorite of the uh, of all the stories that are in here. Uh, and, and to your point, like Luther teaching himself patience over the course of the story. He says, patience, they say, is a virtue. Sadly, patience feels too close to passivity, a quality I despise in men. And as he receives this red kryptonite, which supposedly this version of red kryptonite, they've manipulated it to Superman's exact genetic code, and it's going to strip him of his powers forever. And Luther just has to figure out how to expose Superman to it. And every plan he comes up with, he realizes that Superman will will probably defeat that plan. Um, and so <laughs> Lex sort of... Uh, talks himself out of using the kryptonite at all and does, you know, at the end of the story, put it away, as as Rocky said, in, in a, you know, storage facility that, that is very reminiscent of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it's so interesting. Uh, what I loved about it is Superman doesn't actually defeat Luther actively. He defeats Luther passively because Luther's gone up against him so many times and lost. Uh, and it just mirrored what Luther said he he had even though he despises patience because it's too close to passivity, he's thinking in such a way that allows Superman to defeat him passively. But in the end, he he learns patience. So I thought it was uh, I thought it was really really well done. Great work by Dan Pinocian. I thought the art was was great. Of course, he put boxing in there. Dan Pinocian's a a fan of, of boxing. I think his dad was a boxer, and so that I thought that was great to put that in there as well. And yeah, it's just really well done. The art is uh, nice and visceral and uh, very reminiscent of, of Pinocian style. So, um, yeah, I, re I really like this one. And uh, to your point about Luther normally being able to think his way out of any situation or figure out a way to defeat people, and usually rather quickly, when it comes to Superman, a lot of his failure – so Luther can, can look at a situation – and very objectively, very dispassionately, without allowing his emotions to become involved and color his decisions or or his outlook, he can figure out how to turn that situation to his own advantage. And it's because of his hatred for Superman. It's because 
when he he can't be objective when it comes to Superman. His emotions always get the best of him, and he tends to act impulsively, and he doesn't have patience when it comes to Superman. And that's oftentimes what leads to his downfall. Either that or his hubris, his ego gets in the way. And so to me, Luther being able to exercise some patience and, and put this red kryptonite away for the exact right time is actually Luther kind of leveling up and making himself more of a threat to Superman. If, if, if Luther could always approach his, whatever you want to call it, his, his fight with Superman or his war with Superman, if he could approach it in a, in a non-emotional way, in a completely logical way, he'd have a much better chance of, of, getting one up on Superman or, or even possibly defeating him in the short term, if not the long term. But his it's always either his ego or his emotions that get in the way um, that prevent him from uh, from ultimately winning the day. So uh, next up was probably the most sort of heartfelt and emotional story, at least one that, that landed uh, better than the, the first story. I think My Best Friend Superman, written by Stephanie Phillips, Marley Zarcone on art. Rob Lee on letters. And it's basically this girl who was at the library and Superman showed up fighting this big space monster. And she saw Superman get just devastated by this energy blast and being a very kind hearted and caring individual, uh, you know, at heart, this little girl, Ava ran over to make sure Superman was okay. And he's telling her, no, no, go, go away. I don't want you to get hurt. And she's like, no, but I want to help again, that inherent goodness. And he tells her, okay, help me evacuate the area. And then she he eventually gives her a piece of the the debris from the fight to keep as a souvenir. And she takes it to school and she's showing her friends. And they, of course, don't believe her that she actually helped Superman. And there's some bullying that goes on in the playground later on because he thinks she all made it up. And then Superman shows up and says, oh, it's 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 true. And, um, you know, we all need to, to do better and, you know, trust one another. And so it, it really gets at who who superman is kind of how he inspires us and should bring out the best in all of us so i'm not surprised that this is stephanie phillips and if she had a chance to write one superman story this is what she would um she would pull out and want to put on the page so i think it works really well but again it's not the most original thing and uh the marley zarcone art is is fine it does sort of uh, suits uh kind of a a young aimed at a younger uh, audience the way her uh, her artwork is rendered so I thought it was fine um, I'm sure if uh, if Stephanie hadn't and, and this is another thing about these stories they're they're so short I often I t feel like if they if these creators had a few more pages they might be able to flesh things out they might resonate a little more so what are your thoughts on this one rock yeah this is another this is another feel good uh, you know honestly I wonder if like sometimes I wonder that some of these things they have so many common themes to them that they're they're kind of boring in a way you know uh mm -hmm. i mean i love you know stephanie phillips i i love her as a writer she's uh, of course uh, you let me you know i collaborated with you and we interviewed her that that was that was great i was privileged to be able to do that uh this is a feel good story this reminds me we, we even saw this in the movie shazam where you know the shazam's you know young billy batson's friend there you know nobody believed him that he knew he knew shazam and then superman shows up as well at the end of the movie it's it's sort of like along those lines where you know the kid is it's it's you know a kid is lying not telling the truth as if you would as if you met superman as if you did that and and then of course superman comes in the end and redeems her and everything else and you know and now suddenly she's the hero of the class and it's definitely one of those classic feel-good stories 
and and it works and and the work you know again the art's great uh you know the dialogue's good and it's just uh you know i guess for for older guys like us maybe we just want a little bit more action and stuff like that <laughs> but you know as i said i mean it's i i don't think it's possible to read that story and and not have a little bit of a smirk or a smile on your face you know so it's all good Yeah, what about the uh, the last story? S is for cyborg. I I I enjoyed this one. Jason Howard uh, does the art and story on it, and uh, Tom Napolitano does the lettering. I this one was um, uh, uh, very much it was, it was action packed, and uh, I I have to say the art is very. Uh, Jason Howard's art, I actually quite like it. It's very kinetic. It's very kinetic. Uh, uh, it just feels like he's really good at the... I think visually I enjoyed this this the most because I, I, I really enjoyed the action sequences. Jason Howard's really good at drawing them and uh, I was quite impressed. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, in terms of the story itself, well, you know, it's... I guess the lesson this, you know, Lex Luthor learned the story of patience. Uh, Cyborg learns the, the lesson here of be uh, be very careful what you wish for your enemy because, <laughs> you know, sometimes an enemy will call your bluff and Superman calls Cyborg's bluff because Cyborg is going to unleash his, his monster on him. And, uh, uh, you know, he's, you know, Superman, he gives Superman a choice. You either got to save your friend or you got to, uh, you got to, you know, stop me from unleashing this, this monster. And of course, Superman chooses to save, save the citizen. And of course that leaves Cyborg to deal with the, <laughs> to deal, to deal with the beast. So, uh, in any event, I, it, it was another, it was another lesson. I mean, I think that's a common theme that we're going to be seeing more and more in some of these where we're going to, we're going to have the stories like the Stephanie Phillips story where it's sort of like uh, sort of like a feel good story. And then we're going to get these short stories where we deal with villains learning the hard way that, you know, learning a lesson on what doesn't work on Superman. And, you know, again, you know, I, it, it was it was fun. This this was I, artistically this was my favorite. Uh, Jason Howard, this was my favorite. Yeah, I thought this one was really done well. Also, uh, it it certainly showcased because Superman's actually in this story as uh, as opposed to the Dan Pedotian story. It showed Superman's ability to to win a fight with something other than his his strength. You know, he really outsmarts. Hank Henshaw, Cyborg Superman, despite the fact that Cyborg Superman is supposed to be some ultra genius, um, and Superman sort of figures out the the weakness. You know, what if I remove this janitor and myself from from the vicinity? Then the only thing to feed on is going to be you. The monster is going to be going after you. Your your own creation is going to turn on you. So uh, I thought that was interesting for Howard to sort of showcase that Superman doesn't always have to win with with brawn. Uh, so I liked that aspect of the story. The other thing uh, that you touched on that I thought was that worked really well is the artwork. It is a stylized sort of uh, uh, style, I guess, uh, or, or visual narrative, uh, uh, visual style that that Jason Howard uses. 
But here's the thing about his his style, which tends to be a little exaggerated. The anatomy is not 100% correct or what have you, but it but it really works. And the reason it works so well in the story is this is the one art style that I feel like works with this limited palette. More so than any any of the others. Some of the others work better than others. I think the the ghost zone didn't work at all with the limited palette. Some of the others work to a varying degree with a limited palette. This one is the one story where I look at it and I think I wouldn't want to see this with full colors. I want this story should be with this limited palette. That's how it should be. It shouldn't be using a full color palette. It, it, the story was created to use a, a limited palette. So I don't know if it's because Jason Howard did, did, did the color work him, himself and the line work. So he, you know, it was a little easier for him to know what he wanted to do. But I, I thought that it, the art was spectacular and worked really, really well with uh, the limited palette. So from that, from that perspective, it was the most successful. So I guess we'll have to uh, wait and see what the next issue of uh, Superman Red and Blue brings. But I, I don't. I'm, I'm wondering how successful it's going to be. And then because of the limited palette, and then when it doesn't succeed, doesn't have great sales numbers, all the Batman fans are going to come out and say, oh, see, it's Batman. He's the best. Superman doesn't sell. Well, no. I mean, I, even if you did Superman black and white, I think it would be doing better than this red and blue because it just muddies the art up sometimes. So anyway, on to the last book. It's uh, Batman Fortnite Zero Point Part One Concept by Donald Mustard, writer Christos Gage, pencils by Riley Brown, inks by Nelson Farrow de Castro, colors by John Kalish, and letters by Anne World Design. Uh, so I, this is going to be a big hit, especially for all the Fortnite players out there. Uh, I think DC, if DC could get 10% of people who play Fortnite to buy this book, <laughs> it'll be the biggest book of the year <laughs> for yeah. any publisher. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, anyway, what, what were your thoughts on this one, Rock? Uh, uh, just so you know, I think I'm getting a little bit of uh, static on your end, or I'm getting, I hear my echo on your end. I don't know if that, uh, but in any event, I, uh, uh, I, I've never played Fortnite. But I actually, I, I really like this story. I mean, this was a little bit tropey. There's this huge disturbance in Gotham City. Everybody's running away from it. But uh, it's a crack in reality. It's from tachyons. It's a time disturbance of some kind. But Batman, you know, Batman runs into, uh, <laughs> Batman discovers that some people are actually running toward it, uh, including Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn jumps through it. And Batman just wants to take measurements. He doesn't. He just wants to study it because he does. He wants to protect. He wants to make sure it's not going to destroy the world because it's. It's. He could tell it's multiversal in origin or tachyons and some such, you know, comic book sciencey stuff. <laughs> in any event, uh, a mysterious figure comes along and pushes Batman or kicks Batman into it. Batman is pulled in. He almost escapes, but the gravitational pull pulls Batman into this other world where he doesn't, he loses his memory. He, he can't talk and he loses his memory. And, but yet he kind of remembers he, he possesses all his fighting skills, all his abilities, all his tactical thinking, all his, all the things that make him a, a formidable force as a superhero. 
And as a fighter, he retains all that, but he he can't talk. He can't communicate with others in this other reality, including Catwoman, Selena Kyle, who he runs into, and she can't communicate with him, but they retain their fighting skills. And it's the action. There, there's all kinds of great action sequences in it. And uh, it's it's quite impressive. I, I, I had a blast reading it. It was, you know, I, I like his... Uh, I could I recognize some of the figure some of the the outfits on Fortnite just from advertisements that I see other, in other areas of pop culture and it's interesting to see Batman fight them and and he can kind of tell that everybody you could tell it's like a video game because at, at one point the the bright lights coming toward them and him and Selena are the last ones standing and they figure they're going to die but they don't it just disappears it's a bright light and that's how the issue ends and so I'm assuming that's like a level in a video game or something where they're going to be transported to another level of the game or something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing, but it, it does it, it for, I, I got to give credit to the uh, crystals cage and the concept uh, consultant, uh, Donald mustard. Uh, I think they did a really good job here. It kind of, it felt adventurous. It felt like it kind of had a video game kind of feel to it. And there was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of action. Uh, Batman was thought strategically the way, the way that he he uh, the way that I, I like the I like his thoughts I like the way that Crystal's Cage this uh, narrated Batman's thoughts and how he was putting things together and Batman's frustrations of not being able to talk and yet you know and 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 yet always having to fight and the way that Batman read re you know could read his opponents and and I I love I love when Batman I I love those scenes. In any Batman comic, when Batman's fighting powerful opponents and he describes and you can you Batman describes how he's thinking because you can get a better appreciation of just how cool and awesome Batman is because he figures stuff out on the fly while he's fighting. He can defeat an opponent before he even deals that crushing blow because he he's already read his opponent. And I just love that. And this was this was a fun issue. I see. Fortnite fans that are even remotely Batman fans, I think that they're going to love this. I, I I really do. And if there's any possibility of getting any of those Fortnite fans, like you said, into comic books, man, all the power, I'll, you know, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I I know, like we said at the top, I know very little about Fortnite as well. I know it's a battle royal video game, and it's a it's a giant map, and basically. What happens is everybody spawns on the map, whatever number of, of characters, whatever it is, 64, 32, or however many number of players, and it might depend on the settings for the purple person that started the game. But basically, after a certain amount of time, the map starts to shrink. The, that's what that circle or storm is that's called in the, in the book here, and that it starts to shrink down. So basically, it forces people to eventually, you have to fight because it forces everybody together. If you get caught, it's kind of like the the uh the antimatter in crisis on infinite earth right everybody's forced together because if you get hit by that stuff you die so that's why everybody has to eventually come together and, and that's how the game proceeds right or, or or that's how that you get to an end of a round because everybody's forced together and it, only one person can win uh because everybody's forced together here we had batman and catwoman standing together at the end so when the storm comes in and and I guess they disappear and I'm sure they're going to respawn on a new map and it's going to be 
a situation where how do those two communicate? How does Batman figure out where he is and how does he escape? That's sort of the mystery behind the whole thing. Meantime, we're going to get a bunch of Fortnite Easter eggs. So it, it is a fun story. It's obviously outside of continuity. I mean, is this Jim Gordon's there. Harley Quinn is much more villainous when we do see her. Um, how much this is going to tie in to anything in DC, I think it, it won't at all. It's going to be a complete standalone, just, just fun, action-filled Batman story where DC is trying to get some of these Fortnite players to, to pick up a comic. So how successful they'll be, I don't know. I think the art by Riley Brown has done really, really well. I think uh, it's it's paced well by uh, Christos Gage. And obviously he's working with Donald Mustard, who probably has a lot to do with uh, the video game storyline. So I, you know, I expect this to be successful. I don't think it's groundbreaking or anything like that, but it is fun. Uh, I enjoyed it more than I expected to, because again, I, I don't, I don't have any real context or frame of reference for Fortnite having never played at all. My nephews play, and that's how I kind of know a little bit about it. My sons told me about it, and obviously. If you are alive in the world, <laughs> you probably know people that play. I know some of my coworkers have young children that play, and uh, it's a big thing. It makes tons of money. So hopefully DC can uh, can tap into some of that, and I guess we'll see. So I uh, I picked up a couple of copies, a couple of different covers of number one, just because I have a feeling it might be worth something. I'm I'm specking on it a little bit. And uh, yeah, I guess time I think will it's tell. A, I think it's a pretty safe spec. I'm going to definitely pick up uh, probably at least two issues myself. Like I, yeah, f for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, in addition to the books that we talked about, Batman versus Ra's al Ghul, which is Neil Adams, uh, six issue limited series comes to a close this week with issue number six. And I haven't read any of the issues so far, I didn't read one through five, but I did read six because it was the last one. And I had my press copy and I was like, yeah, it's Neil Adams. Is this what I'm going to expect it to be? And it pretty much was exactly what I expected it to be. Kind of a mess <laughs> narratively. And it's Neil. It's recognizable as Neil Adams art, but uh, his art is nowhere near as good as it was when he was in his prime, which, you know, the guy's in his late 60s now, so you wouldn't necessarily expect it to be. But if you're a big Neil Adams fan, you've probably been picking it up and probably will enjoy it. There's also uh, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, number 109 out this week and uh, everything else we talked about. So I guess that's it. Uh, yeah, I felt like probably average to a little above average uh, books this week. A lot of them just they, – they weren't quite there. I felt like a lot of setup issues this week. But sounds like you enjoyed the week a lot more than I did, Rock. Yeah, I, uh, well, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. But I, I would agree that things are – you know, it, it wasn't – it's it's still better than than it used to be. I mean, I would go for weeks last year where there would be just garbage after garbage. But you know, this was probably a little bit. You know, it it wasn't necessarily uh, like as good as maybe the first week or two. But it's it's maintaining the quality basically. I mean, Justice League, even Justice League sixty, which was probably my least favorite. I, I Justice League Dark, I I enjoyed that so. There's actually something to really enjoy about all of this, and uh, and zero point is a is a pleasant surprise, and you know, hey, AT and T's maybe you know we, we don't have uh, we don't have Tom Taylor anymore doing a uh, doing his uh, his video game universe there. What what was that? 
Injustice. Injustice. Sorry. Yeah. So now we got zero points. So, so we'll see. We'll see if that can be as successful as Injustice. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Batman start showing up in Fortnite. Maybe he already does. Maybe there's already a Batman skin. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I will. I will agree with you that there's no stinkers here. Um, certainly, this is a better week from the gap in quality is much smaller than any any future state week where we had some real some really bad stuff that was, you know, low on the scale, twos and threes on a scale of one to 10, you know, nothing here is, is, is terrible. It's all uh, certainly readable and, and, you know, you can get some enjoyment, some entertainment value out of it. Even, even the justice league book that, uh, as I said, even the Bendis story had that Superman moment that I enjoyed. And like you said, if you're a Naomi fan, you probably love it. And, uh, and justice league dark was, uh, was quality. So yeah, nothing, nothing here that, that was terrible, but for me, nothing that stood out like, oh, man, this is a must-read. The closest to a must-read, I'd say, would be probably the Nightwing story. But again, it, it still feels like uh, Tom Taylor's kind of getting everything set up um, for a, a really good long run on uh, on Nightwing. So, Yeah, and I, I, I want to give a shout-out to the Brian Boland cover that I know you don't like it. <laughs> uh, it's something bugsy about it. I really like it. I, I really love the background, and I got a. I I love. I got a. I got a huge Brian Boland collection, and and I, I I'm definitely getting that that cover for Superman Red and Blue there for that Brian Boland cover is just fantastic. I love it. Yeah, it wasn't that I. It wasn't that I didn't. It, it, I think it's the best of the three covers. But when I heard Brian Boland was doing a Superman cover, I I expected to be blown away, and it's it's just much like the issue itself. It's just okay. I mean, some of those Wonder Woman covers that he did back in the day or just amazing yeah this isn't amazing it's just it's a good solid cover but it wasn't like oh my god i i have to have that you know that kind of thing so yeah well good well i i guess that's gonna do it everybody uh be sure you are uh subscribing to the comic boom uh, web 2 channel as a, our youtube channel rather like i said smash that subscribe button hit the like notification bell make sure you're uh, giving rocky your attention he puts out a lot of great content uh as far as the comic source podcast goes we're available on all podcast platforms and uh you know we're putting out content daily so we appreciate you guys hanging out and uh listen to us jabber on about comics all got right, anything thanks, coming out this week that you uh want to mention rock uh well i am I, i've uh, my schedule has uh had an impact on me but i do i still have a interview schedule for or i'm scheduling an interview with douglas ernst uh, writer of soul finder black tide i was i wanted to interview him this week my schedule didn't allow for that uh, but I ho hopefully that will be coming out in the next uh in the next week or two and i'm i'm going to be i'm putting my my top top 50 sentimental comics and my top 50 uh my top 50 favorite comics they're actually two different two different uh I got sentimental comics that I love, top 50, and then I got comics that I really think that are cool, top 50. So I haven't figured out what to call, actually call it yet, but it's, I want to, I got a lot of comics. I'm having a lot of fun going through my comics and uh, I just wanted to put, I organize it. There's this thing going around YouTube about people, different guys are posting their top 50. And so, uh, and they're, they're hashtagging top 50, top 50 comics. And so I'm going to be doing that because I, I realized I had a lot of fun earlier that this afternoon I was going through a bunch and boy, it's hard to narrow it down. I got a lot of balls uh, to, yeah. to, to narrow it down to 50, yeah. man. Oh, good luck. It, that's really tough. I tell you. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, fifty sounds sounds like a lot till you start going through. Yeah, I mean, I have close to twenty six thousand books. So when you, <laughs> yeah, when you talk about narrowing it down to fifty, it's like fifty sounds like a lot. But first of all, where do you start in terms of okay? Some are going to jump out right away, but I mean, you, are you going to look through all twenty six thousand books to find out? You know, you're going to end up with three hundred, yeah. and then you got to pare that down. Yeah, well, funny, don't envy the, you that. Yeah, the funny thing is, though, it actually the the top fifty sentimental comics for me it was actually easy. It was much much easier because I because uh, so much of from my youth, there are so many very specific comics that I that had an impact on me that I very specifically remember during specific times in my life. So. It was actually surprisingly easy on this from from the sentimental aspect, from the value aspect. I mean, the values now are so crazy, and I don't even know which you know. I yeah, that's impossible. So I that's why it's easier for me just to have fun with the sentimentality of my comics and what I remember collecting and a story behind when I bought this comic and stuff like that. And you know, I mean, yeah, no, I could, I get it. I still think it would be hard for me to narrow it down to to fifty. I mean. <laughs> Oh my God. I, yeah, that would be really, I'd probably end up having to do a top hundred or I'd have 50. Here's my 50, but here's my 50 honorable mentions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. Uh, well, as far as the comic source goes this week, we've got a couple of Kickstarter spotlights that I want to mention that'll be coming out uh, tomorrow. One is called gray, which is a uh, sort of a modern reimagining of the picture of Dorian gray that we're going to be talking about. And then uh, also from uh, Matthew Groom uh, with uh, editing by Kyle Higgins and and maybe possibly set in the same universe as uh, as Radiant Black. There's a Kickstarter going on right now for a project called uh, Inferno Girl Red, which is already fully funded. Uh, we'll be talking about that uh, tomorrow as well. So be sure you tune in for those. Uh, and I think that's going to do it, everybody. We want to thank you for listening as always, and we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes, as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.